Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. So I saw everyone's favorite Broadway twink last night. Um. Well, that could be one of many people. Yeah, but I bet you you could make a list of like six. Yeah. I can name. I would just name all my favorites. Okay. Anyway, who are you talking about? Uh, I don't. I want you to guess. Was it AKB? It was not AKB. Would you count him as a twink? That's the question. I I mean, I think if we're in like roles, if if there's like a category of roles that AKB would be considered for, this person is also uh-huh. in that category. Thus, okay, interesting. Broadway twink. I mean, my favorite is Barrett Foa, but I don't okay. know who he is. In no, your not favorite. not Barrett Foa. Um. Hmm, Hunter Parrish? He's not, not Broadway. <laughs> not Hunter Parrish. Uh, Has a tangential connection to our current show through the director. Oh, Andy Mientes? Andy Mientes. He is starring in The Who's Tommy in Denver right now. Oh, yes. You told me that. It was awesome. Was it really good? It was really good. Double turntables are so in right now. Of course they are. All it takes Look is a all Hamilton. the things that we can do. Yeah. Will somebody get us another drink? Welcome to Jim and Tomic's Musical Theatre Happy Hour, your weekly podcast with heels and hangovers. Do you like Flipping that one? the script, Thomas. I wrote that one. That never you happens. Did. That, that literally never, I think this is the first, <laughs> and it's a great one. I like both heels. I don't like hangovers, but can, can relate. I will so. say the two do not go well together. Um, no. <laughs> Again, can relate. <laughs> Production of Rent, all I'm saying. Um, so, hey, TT. Yeah. What, what's, what are you drinking? Um, I got in front of me, uh, a mango oh, IPA. <laughs> <laughs> Stole the one drink from you in the whole show, not even a drink. I had a backup. <laughs> I had a backup. Because you're a planner. Yep, I have. I do think about these things. <laughs> um, well, I'm uh, dripping, uh, drinking some milk uh, straight from the goat. Ew. Oh. It's tasty. Don't I... knock it until you've tried it, mate. This is a weird question. Have you ever seen a goat in real life? <laughs> what? Yeah. Okay. Have you never seen a goat? No, I have. But like the... So in what context have you seen a goat? Like so many times, like petting zoos mostly. Okay, but then I feel like farms. Okay, how often do you go uh, to a farm? Well, we're the, we're British. <laughs> Where do you have farms? I'm from the Midwest. We're farms. made of farms. Yeah, but we've got like country farms. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I feel like I've been to lots of farms. <laughs> Blair Drummond Safari Park. <laughs> this is something. That only Scots will understand. No, I, uh, has the best petting zoo. I've when ever when they make to. when they make a poster about our podcast and they quote us, I want your quote to be, "I feel like I've been to a lot of farms." <laughs> I feel like I've been to a lot. I do. I, I don't think is that a strange. Do you not go to farms often? I've been to far. I've seen goats. I've been to farms. Uh-huh. I've seen, <laughs> that'll be your. How answer. dare you? <laughs> that'll be your quote. I've seen goats. Um. Oh, genuine question. Uh huh. Do you go to pumpkin patches? Yeah, absolutely. At like Halloween, like that is that is my one of my favorite American things. Oh, is that? Oh, I guess 
Do you have? Yeah, can we you, don't. Can you grow pumpkins in that climate? <sighs> probably not. I don't know. Probably. Well, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. We're maybe a bit too wet. I don't know what they like. Yeah. Um, but we certainly don't have. They're just so cool. Yeah. Oh, what a lovely thing. Have you ever been in a corn maze? No, this is it. You get corn mazes oh, every year. It's so much fun. It's not really that fun, maze. like as a just a pure experience. But the whole surrounding uh-huh. experience is fun. I find is a corn maze really, kind of like scary. No. Do you not feel like you're in signs? No. Signs? You're, you're just surrounded by a bunch of tourists. With a bunch of uh, going stale corn around you. Okay, I, I Don't grew in the illusion for me. <laughs> I grew up in the Midwest. We have nothing but corn and soybeans for miles. Excellent, and goats <laughs> apparently. So, yeah, here we go. Um, yeah. Speaking um, have, of, have seen goats. You've have seen not goats. Drunk from a goat's teat. Have you had goat cheese? Just for the record. Oh, love it. One of my favorites. Make some really good meals with goat's cheese. <laughs> Excellent. And next on my goat-themed questions. No. Um, <laughs> but speaking of livestock. Yes. Uh, well. I have <laughs> last week's quiz question, <laughs> which if you don't know the answer is a strange transition. Exactly. It's kind of rude. <laughs> last week's question. We asked. What show stars, quote-unquote, actors named Effie, Dina, and Laurel, but has nothing to do with Dreamgirls? And some people got it. Yeah, good for them. I thought this was one of our hardest to date. I think it's absolutely difficult. What show was it, Jimmy? It is Once on this Island.
we should explain this quiz question right away. Um, Absolutely. Straight the, they're the chickens in the show are named after the dream They girls. are the names of the chickens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's also um, a couple of goats in the current Broadway revival. There are. There's some bell peppers that get cooked live on stage. We'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> um, so... Once on this island by the great Stephen Flaherty and Lynn Ahrens. Yes, indeed. Our first Ahrens and Flaherty. Is that true? Yeah, welcome. How have we gone that so far? Well, they've got a lot of great stuff. They've got they do actually, they do. Uh yeah, I don't know. Do you just, know do you know just, how they met? They don't... met working on Schoolhouse Rock together. Yeah. Of all oh, things. Nice. They've got I think they've got a beautiful story. In fact, straight off the mark, mm-hmm. um, there is a, a great um, academic text about their history, um, which I'll put straight in the show notes, because it's actually a really good read. It's yeah. very interesting. Um, a lovely a lovely pair. Yeah, a, good, a, a stalwart of, I think, like contemporary musical theatre, not in style, yeah. but in time period. Um, Absolutely. I, I mean, some of the great, Oh, the greatest. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, super popular high school shows, of all things, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, well, interestingly, like uh-huh. for you, but not not really for us. Really? All right. Yeah. Um, Once on the Silent is based on a novel. Yep. It's called My Love, My Love, or The Peasant Girl by Rosa Guy. Mm-hmm. Um, it debuted on Broadway in 1990 um, and then opened on the West End in 1995. It's currently uh, quite successful. Yeah, um, it's currently on or on Broadway at Circle in the Square. It's uh, up for Best Revival at this year's Tonys. Um, it is it, indeed. It never. It didn't. It won no Tonys in its opening run. No, no, not so ever. Um, it did. It won the Olivier for Best Musical, but that was that was it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So now but... it, it's got its chance this year. It really does. It really does. Maybe chat a bit later. Get it on the t-shirt. Yeah. Um. About its prospects. Yeah. Uh. But yeah. Tell, talk to me about Once on this Island. T. What is it? Oh, Once on this Island is a great show. Once on this Island is a at its core, it's a cross between The Little Mermaid and Romeo and Juliet. Um. Mm-hmm. Which uh then was reflected in the novel My Love, My Love. Um. Mm-hmm. It's set in the French Antilles. Um, on some Haitian island, um, and is a story. Uh, it is it is a story within a story. They're telling the story uh, to you as it happens about two different worlds never meant to meet um, that mm-hmm. live on this island: the dark-skinned natives of the island and yep. the mixed-race, richer. Um, upper class yeah. of the island and the how condoms. exactly and how Timun, uh, one girl from um, the the uh, darker darker skinned people there goes on a journey uh, that the gods of the island send her on. Yeah, that seems that fair. Was beautifully, that was beautifully summarized. Thank you. Well done, you. Um, yeah. Well, after that gorgeous summary, let's just. I feel like that's a strange place to dive straight into. <laughs> into we're going, we're going deep right away. I know it's going to happen, but that's fine. There's lots to talk about with this show. Yeah. So, Bazinga, let's do it. Look down, hear my prayer. Don't single me out and then forget me. Oh God, oh God, <gasps> let me fly. Oh, oh, oh. Places where no one before me has been. You stared my life. 
start our transition okay. with Bazinga? I did. I don't even watch it. I've never <laughs> even seen an episode. <laughs> Genuinely, I've just seen it on a t-shirt and I thought, that's entertaining. That's. I don't know if we can be friends anymore. <laughs> Why? Do you like it? No, I hate it. All right. Well, I've just said I didn't watch it. Big Bang Theory is everything that's wrong with the world. Um, I think that I've heard a lot of people say that. So there you go. Um, Anyway. Anyway. um, (laughs) Let's talk about race, Jimmy. Let's talk. We love it. (laughs) Oh, man. Um, I mean, I guess like the thing is, one of the unavoidable things with this show is talking about race it's, yeah. it's a key it's a, a huge key part huge part of the um, show um and i think exactly. come comes with the standard disclaimer you jimmy yep. and i are both very white and we are yes, about we are. to attempt to talk scholarly about experiences that we do not have um nope and like i think we attempt to do so with sensitivity at all times but we'll invariably mess something up but yeah always learning always yeah Always, always learning. Um, so yeah, I think one of the kind of key things to start with is um, once on this island mm-hmm. uh, kind of represents a community mm-hmm. that doesn't have any other representation in popular musical theatre. Uh, yeah, I'd say that's pretty fair. Um, Off the top of my head, I, can't, I couldn't give you another. Wait, at, um, at, at least in a, you know, there there are certainly, we've talked about The Wiz, um, you know, mm-hmm. we've we've talked about um black representation in musical theater in a couple different areas before i do yep. think very specifically so this this musical despite being a fictional tale is very corely based on the haitian revolution um yeah the haitian revolution was in the late 1700s early 1800s um the and they tell you this history in the musical it's the sad tale of the bosoms pardon my french um they the french conquered colonized these islands in the caribbean um mm-hmm. enslaved basically a lot of the native african dark-skinned people there um yep. and then the slaves revolted and kicked the french out um and it yeah. is to date the only sovereign nation that can declare its sovereignty stemmed from a slave revolution yeah um, which... it was really it was one of the the kind of uh earliest like changes yeah certainly in the u.s yeah absolutely um 1804 i think 1804 i think something about that no that's pretty close um yeah 1804 1st of january 1804 there you go and so the you know they kicked the french out um but this i don't know uh like kind of bizarre social construct seemed to precipitate out of the Haitian Revolution. Um, The island kind of delineated itself into two different populations. Um, One population being the darker-skinned natives, and Mm -hmm. one population being the descendants of the, you know, the children of the French and the native people. Um, Yeah. With their skin the color of coffee mixed with cream. Um, Mm. The the less politically correct term, which I say now because there's a quote I want to pull later, is mulatto. Mm. Um, I think mixed might be more appropriate nowadays. But this kind of two-class, two-caste system developed in the place. um, And it's an interesting sociological 
study because they came from a system where there were two classes, right? The white people and the black people expelled the white people and then happened to kind of regress into this two class system again for whatever reason. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And that really informs a lot of the show. Yeah. And I think scholars better than us could tell us, I'm sure why that happened. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't doubt that an element of it is that sense of, um, you know, when you remove the top, mm-hmm. something has to go in its place. Yeah. You know? Um, and so there would no doubt be some kind of delineation there. Um, yeah. Uh, but I, in terms of sort of going right back to it, like um, what I meant about in, in terms of representation of this community, mm-hmm. I do mean the uh, the sort of Haitian haitian voodoo culture yeah basically absolutely um there's there's nothing like that and it does have a very distinct place in mm-hmm. american history mm-hmm. um it, you know in terms of how it's how it's influenced because the, the first time i was ever introduced to it um was have you ever read american gods uh i i am acquainted with it but have not read it yeah um so a uh, kind of spoiler alert uh if you've not read american gods basically um it it tells well it tells many different stories but one of the uh, key features of it is it um these sections called coming to america mm-hmm. where um it talks about how obviously america is a smorgasbord smorgasbord of um cultures religions yeah um and it's about how people brought their religion to america mm-hmm. in various different guises yeah. um one of the bigger ones being um, obviously coming from the African slave trade. Mm. Um, and it talks, not hugely, but in a little way, it talks about kind of the origins of, of voodoo yeah. um, in uh, in the US. Yeah. Um, and it's still prevalent today. There's, you know, I mean, there are still, in some of the southern states, there are still, uh, you know, pr- people who practice this. Absolutely. Um, around, around New Orleans and Louisiana, their whole absolutely. populations. And I will yeah. s- I will say additionally, I think um, it is a, I think a lot of times in uh, pieces of literature that come out of Western culture, there is uh-huh. um, like, this is not a word, but an exoticization of other cultures, if you uh-huh. will, uh-huh. Um, that like, oh, oh, how interesting this foreign ideal, you know? Oh, yeah. look at look at the different people. Aren't they interesting and quaint? Um, mm-hmm. This musical doesn't do that. It doesn't minimize um, this kind of Haitian voodoo culture, where I would say no. things like, absolutely, The King and I does. Yes. Um, but yeah, even, even contemporarily, I would argue something like The Book of Mormon does about... Uh, uh-huh. you know, some forms of African culture. Um, and yeah. part of it and is Mormonism and Mormonism. <laughs> and part of it is because it's a, it's a satire and it's supposed to be elevated and you're supposed to laugh at it. And that's the whole, you know, Matt Parker, Trey Stone idea is like, am I allowed to laugh yeah. at this? Is it supposed to be funny? Yeah. But like Salt Lake City, um, the fact that we're laughing at like your misunderstanding or the whole, when they, they reenact the, um, the story of the prophet Joseph Smith and like, Oh, mm-hmm. how silly that the natives got this wrong. And you're laughing yeah. at them once yeah, on this totally. Island has none of this. And I think that is a like sleeper cell revolutionary bit 
to this yeah. piece of Western literature, fully yeah. Western literature. Yeah, definitely. It feels like um, it feels like a really nice uh, children's book. Yeah. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's very, it's a very simplified, very condensed yeah. version of what is an extremely intricate culture. Right. Um, and it's just a nice, easy way for people who might have no idea about it mm-hmm. to learn something. Yeah. And it's, um, I would say it is so, um, it's so subtle that like, nothing against my mother, but my Irish Catholic mother could go and see this and not, yeah. and not entirely feel ostracized by it and not feel like she's you know thrown into this obscure culture world it's inviting it's welcoming and it's not minimizing no not at all and i'd say it's it's right there in the actual story yeah of of the the show that it's it's about telling stories and sharing with other people that one of the last lines is go forth and you know yeah exactly tell (laughs) tell this story um so I think that's so key yeah. to it. That, and you can tell that when Aaron's and Flaherty were writing it, yeah. that that is a huge part of it, is that it was supposed to be yeah. a bit of an education, I guess. Yeah. So And a celebration. So. This, is, this is a question I have, and clearly mm. we are not the ones to decide this, but I'm going to ask mm. you this question, Jimmy. Mm-hmm. Aaron, Aaron's and Flaherty are both decidedly white. Yeah, they really are. They wrote this show about yeah. a black population about a black culture yep is that okay well so here's the thing we've talked about this before (laughs) right of course um and uh i think scots for boys was the time i said it most eloquently Uh (laughs) so feel free to go back and listen to that (laughs) i'm mildly sleep deprived cut that clip back in (laughs) yeah just paste it back in um no i i think um it's by no means the most ideal situation mm-hmm. um and in many ways it's not something that should be happening mm-hmm. um but uh what i will say um there's almost a sense of uh, if not them then who mm-hmm. now i realize that was a sweeping statement i'm right. not saying that there are not uh black composers out there obviously there are of course of but, course um we know there's a race problem uh that is uh, what's that word? Insidious. Yes. Um, in in our lovely world of musical theater, mm-hmm. uh, and especially back in the nineties, you know what I mean? Yeah. Strikes oh. weren't being oh, made yeah. then. Not not at all. Um, so it's much easier for mm-hmm. white duo Aaron's and Flaherty mm-hmm. to get a show onto Broadway than it would be for a black composer. Right. Um, it's that disgusting truth. Yeah. Of the of the matter. Um, and so you do kind of get this question of well. Is it better to have something mm-hmm. than nothing? Yeah. And I would say when the content's good, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, you put it well. I agree. Um, but it is, it's a, it's a discussion I've seen pop up in other places. And I, totally. I, do, I do find fascinating. Um, yeah. And like, also, the question, is it okay for them to do this, is a non-starter. Because you know what? They did. Uh, they d- <laughs> exactly. They did. And it's it's very successful you know and um you look you just have to look to uh how black audiences feel about this show Mm -hmm. um and as far as certainly from what i've been reading um it's there is an overwhelmingly positive response to it yeah uh which is great you know if you take something like for example miss saigon right um they're 
obviously they're they they had a very tricky start. They did they made some big mistakes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and that kind of propagated a a much more fraught racism debate. Yeah. Um, around that show. Yeah. Um, and that there are a lot of Asian communities who really yeah. disapprove of it and yeah. disapprove of what it says. Um, there are still Asian communities who are very for it. Yeah. Uh, but for something like um, Once in This Island, I feel like it's just an overwhelming sense of yes. Yeah. There's so much positivity. I mean, I don't know yeah. if you've come across any in your research, but in all of my research about this show, I have not been able to find a single instance of any group raising protest about this show. There was, there was one article that I don't agree with. We'll uh-huh. talk about it uh, when we get into talking a bit about themes. Uh-huh. Um, but it did kind of try and uh, play the race card. But I don't really know. I think I feel like it was just clickbait. Okay. Do you know what I mean? I, I can't see where their argument yeah, but I, I am interested to hear because, you know, as uh, our disclaimer goes, this is not our experience. And so I do yeah, totally. I do wonder, you know, what what am I missing? But so, yeah, this perhaps leads into an issue that I hold near and dear to my soul and my heart on yeah. like a questioning level. Um, Once on this island is a hugely popular high school show in yeah. the United States. Um, like, on those yearly lists they do of the top 50 shows, it is always in the top 10, without fail. Wow. It's got a huge cast, simple songs. You, It's a storytelling piece, so you can do it in a gym wearing colorful T-shirts. Um, yeah. Like, it is built at its core in 95% of its ways as a high school show. Yeah. But with a capital B, or maybe even in all caps, underlined, yeah. <laughs> and in italics. It is a show written to be performed entirely by black people. Yeah. And most schools that have theater programs in America are don't have black populations. I have seen yeah. this change and improve over, what, my now maybe seven professional years in educational theater. Um, yep. You know, put bluntly, there are more black kids doing theater um, for whatever reason. Yep. But going into it, when I was studying in college, like looking at high school programs across the nation, they're not a lot, either in schools that are predominantly, predominantly black or in schools that served mixed populations, the white yep. kids do the theater. Exactly. Um, you know, it speaks to the systemic issues. It speaks to all these things. But so totally. then how do all these schools do once on this island? And I have, and this is a long quote here, um, but it's the author's note at the beginning of the MTI published script for once on this island. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like on page five and it says regarding casting amateur productions. Once on this island is based on the cultural, religious and racial divisions found in Haiti between the mulatto ruling class and the dark skinned rural peasants. Our original production in New York was strictly cast along these racial lines and the text makes references in several places to skin color. We think the power of the story has a great deal to do with the issue of prejudice within the race, as well as with issues of wealth and class. We strongly hope that the casting of future companies will reflect our intent as far as possible. However, 
we understand the potential casting difficulties which may arise for some amateur theater groups, as well as their desire, in some cases, to present interracial productions. To this end, we've supplied certain specific text alterations, which might allow a greater flexibility in making casting choices, while still maintaining the core ideas of prejudice and, separ- and the separation of people because of their differences. Mm-hmm. Our best wishes for a successful, joyous production, Lynn Ahrens and Stephen Flaherty. Yep. It's it, it's such a tricky one. I don't know how I feel about this, Jimmy. I don't I know, know how I feel about... And before I knew that this author note existed, I didn't know how I feel about this. When yeah. I first listened to the cast album, I didn't know how I felt about this. When I became a theater teacher, I didn't know how I feel about this. And like yeah. every year when we go through play selection, I don't know how I feel about this. Absolutely. Um, it, it's something we talk about a lot over here because um, while... Uh, you know, race in and in, in getting um non-white people to be involved in theater is tricky for you guys. Yeah. Even trickier for us. Oh, I'm sure. Uh particularly in Scotland. Right. Um where the you know the population demographics are completely different. Yeah. It's um it's a numbers game. Absolutely. So there are there are just shows that you don't even consider because it's not it's just not gonna happen. And you always get this debate of people being like, yeah, but and like, yeah, but it doesn't doesn't matter, right? Um, and I think I think Uti is one of the one of these one of these shows that it's just it it just it doesn't work. Like it's it's there in the language of of what Irons and Flaherty are saying here, yeah. And they say that um, uh, in some cases to present interracial productions, yeah, that is interracial. That is not right. all white production, right. which I think. And see, the thing is, I have seen all white productions yeah yeah it's the same um it's the same with hairspray yeah hairspray's hairspray is probably one of the biggest ones that we have over here mm-hmm. that treads the line and there is another I, I can't remember what it is but there is another author's note in the hairspray script mm-hmm. um that kind of it doesn't excuse it but it, it it sort of says yeah you can do this um and it just it never it never works. No, it, it it never works. Yeah, there's no point. The thing I do think is because like, so in my mind, I draw a hard line with hairspray. I draw a hard mm-hmm. line with ragtime. Yeah, I, I probably even draw a hard line with the whiz. Yeah, the line is is softer with Once on This Island. Right, interesting. And part of it is because of this author's note. And they do, uh-huh. the the changes they list, there's a whole page. Um, it's just one page, but it's, yeah. it's like, it's eight changes yeah. in the whole show. Which I think, whereas like, if you do Hairspray with a, you know, less than black cast, right? Oh, yeah. You're not making script changes to accommodate that. No. Right. So, they, you know, Aaron's and Flaherty have gone out of their way to make this more on the okay side. Mm-hmm. But it is, it then immediately undermines so much of the core of the show. Absolutely. It's just in the sense that it's not, it's not in our culture. Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? We can't sing from any sense of authenticity because... right. We don't know because it's you know entirely I mean? inauthentic. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I guess I mean, obviously, you're going to be like, it's a fucking high school, right? What does it matter? But it's just, I don't know. It's just, 
But like that's that's where it starts. Our but then, to tell. Yeah. But so then here's where my high school brain goes on the other side of it. What a fan! It's uh, I I might have mentioned this. One of the best productions of Fiddler on the Roof I ever saw was performed by a Catholic school. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because you have to step outside of your own cultural boundaries and literally empathize with the other because mm-hmm. the person you're playing is the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Catholic and Jewish Jewish differences aside, I see huge educational potential in bringing this show to, you know, a Midwestern or Coloradan white student group as a study yeah. piece, right? As a, like, yeah. let's talk about a culture that's not yours in a really deep way. Mm-hmm. But where does it cross that line? I guess I would just be like, I wouldn't trust high school directors. No offense to you. No, absolutely. I wouldn't trust high school directors. Like, let's use this as a learning experience. Okay, right. let's go in and we're going to study Haitian culture. Yeah, I don't Do you know think I mean? a lot of high... I mean, I I don't know if you've been on YouTube recently, but, like... I saw a video of this show where Papa Gay was in like a bowler hat and like yeah. like a gangster from Guys and Dolls. And right? Like, ah, we're 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 not doing this right. We're yeah, exactly. We're not in Haiti anymore. Yeah, there's there's <laughs> some I mean? there's some accidental erasure going on here. Yeah, it's it's total erasure. I mean, they w- they won't be singing it um, in authentic accent. They won't be singing it uh, playing the music with authentic instrumentation you know what right. I mean? it's losing all of its authenticity by the second and it just becomes a story set on a beach right. like it, exactly. you know what I mean? yeah just do a little mermaid and be done with it exactly exactly um it's one of those things as well there are plenty of shows yeah there are plenty true. of shows there um it's 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 endlessly tricky yeah yeah it's very... endlessly uh man I was, I... Ho- I was hoping i was gonna be able to land on an answer <laughs> no it's one of those ones like I I know it's it's kind of in your gray gray line. Yeah. Um it's not in my it's not in mine, it's firmly yeah. Uh, yeah, I can't I can't get by it. I don't know, maybe just because it's it's not something that we would really ever do. I, I have known productions of it to happen, they've been very good. Um but it's just not it's not right. Yeah. It's not yeah. right. It's hard. Oh yeah. I can't. Do you know what? I can't think of any. I think of any like predominantly race-driven show mm-hmm. that I'm like, yeah. Do you know what? That one wouldn't be as bad. Do you know what I mean? I'm thinking of the Scots for Boys. I'm thinking of Parade. Yeah. Or you know, like you say the Wiz. I'm looking at the wall again. Um, yeah. No, there hair, are hair. Hair. Like, hair. You, yeah. You know I mean, you just if you if you have a bunch of white girls singing white boys are so pretty it's not it doesn't really have its impact God, anymore does it no don't even <laughs> don't even yeah there's no. just too you know, i mean it's just too much yeah. so well so this um uh i saw the who's tommy yesterday mhm have you have you ever seen it performed not performed i've seen well i've seen the um recorded okay version okay but i've never Um, seen it live so tommy grows up throughout the show and three actors play him right there's Mm -hmm. a a, like a young child version a medium child version and then the adult um this production may first made the choice that tommy's parents uh his um were both oh i actually don't remember um (laughs) the young the young kid was a tiny little white boy the medium kid was a medium-sized little black boy. 
And yeah. then the adult guy was Andy Mientes. Right. Okay. Yeah. And the idea is that they're all the same person. Um, yeah. And that they grow up through it. And like, yeah. clearly, <laughs> you know, we, we are making some anti statements through this because Tom yeah. is not a show about race. Um, no, not at all. In any explicit way. Um, and so instead we're making a statement about theatricality about like, mm -hmm. it don't matter what you look like. You can play this role. Um, and it was interesting, you know, I went to a 6.30 Tuesday performance of this. Mm -hmm. Um, I, like, I, me and my boyfriend weren't the youngest people there, but yeah. we were probably 35 years younger than the average age of the entire audience. Yeah. And when Tiny Tommy turned into Medium Tommy and went from being a tiny white boy into a medium black boy, there were murmurs in the audience and it had nothing to do like the transition was very clear he was in the same costume it was very well staged and i don't think the theater going audience who signed up to go see the who's tommy in central denver is particularly you know latently racist um right like i really don't feel that but still there's this this murmuring going on like i, find I love that all of this fascinating in a theatrical context, you know? <laughs> I just I love that in a show like the Who's Tommy, they're right. like, well, that's not believable. Right. Like, yeah. come on, and, it's the Who's Tommy. <laughs> and then Tommy's dad takes him to like a drug den to cure him of his deaf, dumb, and blindness. Like Exactly. Yeah. But that's the thing. But so like those those people who murmur over that. Right. Wouldn't bat an eye going to see their white grandchildren's production Ooh. of Once on This Island. Not at all. We'd love it. But I find, like, my reaction is entirely opposite, you know? Mm -hmm. When one on Once on This Island, I'm like, no, why'd you do that? But mm -hmm. in Tommy, I'm like, ah, great, great choice. Yeah. It's, it's paradoxical in my brain. I don't understand. I know. Yep. May, and we I guess, never will. Yeah, I'll never understand. <laughs> So, Jimmy, I think we should move to perhaps a, a less uh, difficult and complex <laughs> issue like race. 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 Um, <laughs> race. <laughs> to, you know, race. A simpler topic like gender. Yes. Good old gender. <laughs> hey, we've not really talked much about gender. It's been a while. I 
if I we, guess Hedvig? Yeah, maybe. Uh, certainly That's we've it. we've maybe talked about gender identity um, and certainly sexual orientation, and these all fall under a giant vague umbrella. Um, mm-hmm. Ooh, I want to make a vague umbrella. Um, it, like, stops some of the rain. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> maybe. Um, I didn't expect... If you asked me, bef- like, if we did this show last year before the Broadway revival, uh-huh. I don't think I would have thought of gender as, like, a big topic about it. No, not at all. Not at all. Because I've listened, I've listened to this for a long, long time. Yeah. Um, and it's always felt like a little fairy tale. Um, yeah. But I don't know what it is about this recent production, which has changed my whole view. Mm-hmm. And the cast recording as well, just, it's, like, changed my whole view yeah. on the show and and they've like made some specific choices centered mm-hmm. around gender and gender identity that like have then made me question other script choices that exist outside of that that are gender yeah. in this show you know yep um so but right we're beating around a bush let's we talk. are <laughs> specifically <laughs> this yeah. new broadway revival bends two of the god roles right mm-hmm. um alex newell plays Asaka, traditionally a female role. Yep. Um, Alex Newell uses male pronouns, but is gender fluid. Um, and Merle Dandridge plays Papa Gay, traditionally a male role. Uh, mm-hmm. Merle is decidedly female. Yeah. And it's interesting. It, totally. Um, it, but also kind of just makes perfect sense. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, like, they're gods. Yeah. They can be a Rita question, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and it is, it's, it's really, so um, the the way that kind of Haitian voodoo gods work, mm-hmm. or certainly from what I've studied in the past week, um, are that they are very characterful beings mm-hmm. um, and have a lot of personality. Yeah. Um, and they do have distinct genders, but there's so many of them. And within each kind of grouping, mm-hmm. um, there's so, you know, there's, it doesn't really matter if they're male or female. Right. Do you know what I mean? That doesn't gods. really affect Who what cares? they do. They're just, exactly. Yeah. Um, they'll still do the same things. So it, to me, it, it kind of dramaturgically, yeah. it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, is if you have someone like Alex Newell that exists uh. in your world, use Alex Newell yeah. because well, he's the best. And <laughs> yes. the the interesting thing is the dual choice. Um, we we use this term in high school theater a lot um, mm-hmm. about a breeches role um, where you cast a girl as a guy in breeches. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the decision is that this character remains male in identity. Yep. And it is just a female playing a male, but we're not trying to make, like, you put their hair up under a hat. You're not trying to make any commentary yeah. about this. It's Peter Pan. It's Peter Pan. Yeah. yeah. Um, and whatever the <laughs> probably poorly termed breaches role name is for a female role, that mm-hmm. is the Alex Newell as Asaka choice, right? Yeah. It's entirely in drag, so much so that it seems a poor choice to call it drag. You know, it, yeah, exactly. It's just <laughs> simply female, not even presenting as female, but like just purely mm. feminine. But mm. then Merle as Papa Gay is also decidedly female in presentation in exactly. this role that before was a male role. 
and to yeah. have them both at the same time is is you know it explodes the gender discussion for the show. Oh, so much, and I think it is. It all comes down to Meryl Dandridge um, and that decision because that is the thing that makes it. A, it feels like a female led yes. story now. Yes, um, and that women are at the heart of it. Yeah, um, Agway's there. But he don't really do much. Oh, I always, do I always I mean? feel bad for him. He's all he, and like in the high school productions, he's always the kid who like you need to give a lead to, but you don't really want to. Their oh, songs are early on, so like you can get Agwe's song out of the way, and then Agwe doesn't really do a lot oh, after it's such Rain. A good song. Oh, it's That's a great song, thing. and it's you can have your, you can put yeah. your poor singer in it. Um, but well, hey, mm-hmm. this is just like a bit of the show notes. Mitch Grassy, you know Mitch Grassy from yeah. weirdly enough. Can you see what? No, I can't see. Tonics. Okay. Uh, he there's, uh, he played Agway in a high school production, and there's video footage of that. I'll put that in the show notes. That's amazing. Extremely good. I think he's one of the best singers on the planet. I'm, he could he could be he could easily be in Osaka. Yeah, I'm excited oh to watch goodness. that. But yeah. I think you're absolutely right that Papagay as a female presenting role, especially yeah. with how much Papagay interfaces with Timun over the idea of will you sacrifice yourself for this man yep absolutely modifies the narrative of this show so much so much um and you know what i mean if you if you think about it in terms of how they're telling story they're telling story to this young girl right um you know i mean it becomes instead of just like fun fairy tale it becomes like warning story or yeah. like yeah. you know it's you almost imagine that it's like a story that mothers pass down to their daughters oh, absolutely. to help them become stronger women yeah yeah no for sure i mean so let's talk about timoon as a feminist yeah. icon briefly yeah because in the pure if you're reading this musical as a book yeah i think timoon is a is a strong character for sure but mm-hmm. doesn't have a lot to say as far as her um efficacy is like a strong independent woman in the love story of this show well see this is it this is this is it i i can't tell if i agree or not because there's i go back and forth so much um you go first okay and then i'll try and so on its surface to moon falls in love with a man who she meets when he can't speak when he's basically dead She's very much in love with the idea of him, a stranger in white in a car, but mm-hmm. has no reason to fall in love with him. They have their mm-hmm. one, you know, oh, God, it's my least favorite song in the show. Um, Forever Mine. No. Forever Yours. No. The one, um, we'll race away in a car. See, you don't know it because you skip it on the CD. Is it? No, I don't. Is it um, the Daniel one? Yeah, the Daniel one. And Papa Gay swings in is like, mine! And then it gets much better. Um, yeah. But like, that that song, that's the only time they have to actually fall in love on a legitimate mm-hmm. level. And mm-hmm. it is just barely surface level. She's in love with the idea of, you know, it's it's Ariel falling in love with the land not falling in love with Prince Eric. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to be away from this place. I'm infatuated Mm -hmm. with the idea of humans with, oh, you know, what do you call them? Feet. Um, Like I'm infatuated with the people on the other side of the gates, on the other side Mm -hmm. of the wall, Um, which like, this is a, I think a negative 
female trope that has existed forever. You're in love with the idea of this category of man, and you pick the first one that crashes in a car on your doorstep. Yeah. Right? And that follows through through the show. And in the writing of the show, with Papa Gay as a male figure coming into Tamoon is like, will you sacrifice your life for this man? Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. Kind of forwards that. But then when you flip Papagay on its head and turn it into a female presenting role, it adds so much more strength to that. It de-genderifies it. Degenderifies it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Makes it more about the concept of love. It lets me forgive the quick love story a little more as just a storytelling yeah. device. We only yeah. have so much time to fall in love over, you know, our 95-minute musical or whatever. Um, yeah. And and then especially when Papagay comes back the second time, you know, trade your soul back for his. And she's like, no, no, I do love him. I will trade my soul for his. Mm-hmm. It, it it makes it so much more powerful in a way that I didn't even know you could do until yeah. the revival, you know? Yeah, I, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I think I totally agree with everything, pretty much. Um, I think for me, one of the things is it becomes... It becomes less of a... So if you take someone like um, Papa Gay... Mm-hmm. See, I'm going to refer to her as she because in my head it's, you know, it's Merle. Right. Um, like, to me, you know, she's always referred to as the antagonist. She's always referred to as the baddie. Yeah. I never really feel like that. No. Um, I always feel like she has uh, a very balanced yeah. point of view. Oh, absolutely. I think that's know? the moral they want. And Papa Gay was gentle when she, you know, led her to her rest. Yeah. Pa- Papa Gay... The, maybe we'll talk about this later with grander themes, but like mm-hmm. it is there. I think there is a direct comparison to how um, the Greek gods live in that culture. That like, yeah. like as I put my foot in my mouth last time about Hades, but like Hades isn't a bad guy. No, right? Neither is Papa. Not guy. at all. And I think that's it. Is in if it was a if it was a man, you know, I mean, the music is very dark and, and stirring, right? And it would feel like. He is the baddie. Yeah. He's trying to stop their love. But for this, it's almost like she's trying to give Timon a choice. Yeah. Um, and kind of help Timon realize yeah. uh you know what what she really needs, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I- um it's 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 uh, yeah, I don't know. I find it yeah. quite tricky. Well, and one of the things I enjoy about it, and we're we're doing it right now. Um mm-hmm. And I think it's it's important to acknowledge in its full capacity. But, like, mm-hmm. we're talking about traditional gender roles and gender stereotypes, right? Yeah. Now, and referring to them and capitalizing them and using them as storytelling devices, right? Yeah. We like this position as this role as a girl better than as a guy. And mm-hmm. we're making assumptions about even what that means, right? Mm-hmm. And I would say if you asked us out of context— in our, you know, hashtag woke state that maybe we are mm-hmm. or aren't in, um, we wouldn't, you know, we'd be much more reticent to dive into traditional gender roles. Um, but I think it is interesting to see traditional gender roles and gender stereotypes capitalized on as a storytelling device in a 
contemporary, you know, uh, uh, liberal accepting kind of way, like in this show. Yeah. Because right alongside all of this, Alex Newell is playing Asaka just as full-on woman, right? Yeah. And all of that together some somehow in my brain makes it more okay to fall into some of the traditional gender role storytelling devices that happen with Papa Gay and Timon and Daniel. Yeah. Where I might feel less okay with it without Alex Newell around, you without know? Alex Newell, yeah. 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 There is so the article the article that I mentioned before mm-hmm. um kind of slates it uh and slates the story. Um and it kind of says that you're you're going along with Timon for this whole ride, mm-hmm. um, and then she dies, Daniel doesn't really get his comeuppance. Yeah. Uh and then it's all about, you know, she's gone and that's that's fine, you have to kind of pass it on. And they're trying to argue that the um idea of like, you know, pass on this story right. isn't enough to make up for the fact that you've just killed your protagonist who doesn't really get what she wants. Yeah. Um and like I can kind of see what it's talking about, but to me, I don't know. To me, it just goes a lot, a lot deeper than that. Mm. I, I feel I always kind of feel from the start that there's a lot more to it than just she falls in love, uh, and she lives happily ever after. It felt like you know it kind of never felt like it was going that way. Right. Um. It always felt that there was something more. It's right there at the start. Yeah. Um. Where uh you know she has this kind of struggle of well why did you save me yeah. why me um yeah and that's a big question that i think a lot of people ask yeah is you know why me and then the way it ends is you kind of find out roughly yeah why why because um, of all this yeah i do yeah. i do wonder because there's some line and i'm gonna misquote it but like when they're you know at the beginning, like, and proved that love could conquer over death, basically, when they're starting. Um, yeah. I wonder if it is worth it to end game this show just a little more, right? Because mm-hmm. they don't say, and then she dies and doesn't get what she wants. Yeah. Um, and, like, not that they need to say that so overtly, but it... it I don't know. I don't know if this is the right answer, but I would love to workshop the show once, like mm-hmm. telegraphing a little more that Timun isn't going to get Daniel. Yeah. You know? But it's what, like, I never really, at any point, do I feel like she should get Daniel. Like, Daniel isn't a great guy. Um, this is where yeah. I'm going to bring up Miss Saigon. Yeah. Uh, because I feel like there's weird parallel. Even you know they came out at the exact same time. Leo yeah. Salong is in it now. Too many parallels. Spoil yeah. the broth. Yeah. Um. Like it. It feels very similar in terms of story. Yeah. You've got this. Oh, he's not a white savior. Right. Um. But mixed race savior. Right. The, um. More, coming in more privileged savior for sure. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um. Kind of coming in, mm-hmm. but then has this other woman on the side, right? Who is the other woman that ends up having to tell uh, Timon about it, right? Um, it's the plot of Miss Saigon, yeah, uh, in many and, ways. But in and Miss Saigon, Miss Saigon won the Tony, and oh, yeah, no, Miss Saigon lost. Will Rogers' Folly Follies won, but still. exactly, and Will Rogers' Follies a very similar narrative <laughs> um, to this as well. Uh, but no, the. Uh, the idea being that um, 
for a lot of people, not me, a lot of people, Chris is the hero. Mm-hmm. Um, and you do kind of like, ah, oh, what a wonderful man. And he kind of saves the day at the end and he's going to take off. The- to me, I just like, I don't care if Chris is there or not. For me, it's just all about Kim. Right. Um, in the same way, same way with this, I don't care about Daniel one yeah. jot. Yeah. Um, for me, it's all about Timun. But um, but Timun does care about Daniel, right? Exactly. So this this is this is where I think it's a little bit tricky. Um, and I think uh, I mean you know they're not going to rewrite anything at this stage. Right. That was vain. Um, but I feel like I would like more of uh, a discussion with uh, like what's her oh what's her name? Sorry, I've got them all there. Uh, Erzuli. Mm-hmm. And Papa Gay yeah. and Timun having a kind of sit down chat together, being yeah. like, "So, what do you really want? You know, right. what? So what? What yeah. do you mean why, by that? Why? Why um, are you pursuing this man? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This one in particular, kind of yeah. thing. Um, because for me, I don't know. I always like to think that Timun falls in love with Daniel so easily mm-hmm. because she feels that this is a message from the gods. You know what I mean? Right. It's something that's just happened. He's right. just kind of shown up, and it's like, oh well, yeah. I've saved him." This can be the one. Yeah. And if you are searching your whole life for why am I here? Right. Uh, you look for signs like that and you kind of run with them. Right. And I just feel like it might be nice at some point. Yeah. If uh, she's like, well, maybe this isn't what I want. Yeah. Well, you know, so this is this is a question I have, though, because it is it is interesting to see Timun misreads her purpose. Right. Yeah. The gods. First of all, you know, plucked from the waters by Asaka and sheltered in a tree by Azuli. The gods didn't save her in that moment so that eventually she could be this parable. At yeah. least as far as the main story goes. Yeah, Instead, exactly. they just save her for no reason. And then uh-huh. she has her I want song. I want a stranger in white. And the gods heard her prayer and they laugh about it. They're like, what a mm-hmm. ridiculous thing. And then it becomes a challenge among the gods to decide yeah. whether love can conquer death. And they yeah. set her up and she says, oh, gods, I understand. You saved me so I can save him. Mm-hmm. No, they didn't. They saved her because you're their plaything. Because yeah. they're using you to settle a score. And so it is interesting to see, you know, that this is why I make the Greek reference. There's something mm-hmm. very Greek about that, which to me, the fact that these two parables, you know, presumably I don't think this is entirely a Haitian parable at its core. It certainly mm-hmm. has tenets of Haitian culture in it. But the fact that these ideals and these tropes develop divergently um, makes them, it's divergent evolution. Let's talk about a biology term, Beautiful. right? Uh, or wait, convergent evolution? That's the right thing. Uh, what's, what's the one where the two things turn into the one thing, even though it, convergent evolution? Yeah, convergent. Yeah. yeah. Um, where it's, it's like convergent evolution in storytelling, um, where both of these tropes, both of these storytelling devices, both of these concepts mm-hmm. developed very separately, um, mm-hmm. which I find fascinating. Yeah. Oh no, definitely. Uh so yeah, I, I think though at the heart of it, um what certainly what the revival portrays, I don't know if it's in the cortex. I, I can't really decide yeah. that or not. Yeah. Um but this production mm-hmm. definitely with Michael Arden, what he's done is is pre created this beautiful yeah. feminist story. Yeah. 
Um, Absolutely. Not which is it's great. Not to mention, and we have a revival section where maybe we'll talk more about it. Although this yeah. might be a five-hour podcast at that point. <laughs> Looking like it, um, <laughs> but about just like recasting it fully with Haitian culture in mind and some contemporary Haitian ideals. This yeah. this revival. I have a couple friends who went to see this thing. Um, yeah, same. And they called it one of the most moving pieces of theater they've so ever experienced. Yep, 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 yep. Um, so well done, Michael yeah. Arden. Smart little nugget, you. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Right, we're almost out of the woods of the themes. <laughs> <laughs> it's the most thematic show that's ever existed. Listeners, Jimmy was worried we weren't <sighs> going to have enough to talk about. I know. My goodness. Also, I don't think I've said it. I'm extremely sleep deprived. Yeah, what? Well, it's like 4 a.m. in, in uh, Scotland right now, right? It may as well be. When does the sun... Because um, you guys are in the Arctic Circle, so doesn't... Are you in like the 12 months got... where you get like... 24 hours of sun or 24 hours of not sun so right now your geography knowledge is <laughs> disgusting <laughs> um <laughs> no like we, uh, we'll get the sun will start coming up around four a.m a.m yes that's ridiculous that is ridiculous and then it'll go down around like 11 10 10 11 what does it look like in the winter then dark it's quite dark that's insanity wait i think what do you have you're you're north no no sunrise sunset i always make sunrise sunset maybe moves by an hour and a half two hours over the course of a year Mm. sunrises oh no it's very very different for us that's insanity like i knew that was a thing because i joked about it at the beginning but i don't think Mm. i quite conceptualized how that would impact a person's life yeah so it's quite funny because if you're ever out late so see for example at the fringe yeah yeah you see so much daylight it's wonderful because you often go home while the sun is either rising or has fully risen um, because you've been up so late 
That's uh, crazy. You all, mu- the 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 window covering industry must be booming in Scotland. I know everyone has to have curtains. Yeah, because we just can't cope. Yeah, we just can't cope. Anyway, it's dark right now, so there we go. <laughs> and I'm tired. That's all we need to know. And if I don't make any sense, it's because of that. Anyway, so as a nice before you fall asleep um, topic to talk about, nice and uplifting. What do you say we talk about religion and death? I think we definitely should. <laughs> and you say uplifting. I have things to say about that. Anyway, um, yeah, before we kind of leave the... Obviously, we we started to touch upon the gods and how, how they fit into this tale. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think one of the things that I've noticed, I kind of want... I wonder what you think about this. Yeah. Is the weird kind of uh, mirror with the Bible. Okay. What do you mean? So... In the sense that, obviously, in in Uti, mm-hmm. it's uh, you know, like like we've just said, the gods are are playing around and they kind of have their own score to settle. Yeah. Um, but there's no doubt that Timun does kind of end up as a sacrifice, okay, uh, for the greater good. Interesting, and right, they, she does become a parable. Right. Yeah. Um. Obviously, in the Bible, yeah, uh, there's a quite a big prominent character called Jesus Christ. Yeah, um, I've heard. Who, I'm acquainted. Yeah, um, who <laughs> dies? Yeah, uh, on a mission from God. Yeah, uh, in order to, uh, yeah, kind of save the people. My it, my sticking point is is the difference between literally the Western monotheistic God. And yeah. all polytheistic God beliefs. Because um, yeah. I think one of the big differences is that when you have one God, he is good. And all-knowing all and everything he does is perfect. And yeah. when you have many gods, they become fallible. Um, mm-hmm. And Jesus is predominantly infallible. And yeah. knows that he is the savior. Yeah. Um, I do... Okay. I do see connections in like... Jesus's uncertainty of his purpose and Timoon's uncertainty of his purpose uh-huh. of her purpose. I think yeah. I find Timoon's more exhilarating than Jesus's. We've talked about this in Superstar, but I think yeah. Jesus's story is boring. Um, yeah. I find this interesting because she doesn't know, because she gets it wrong, because she's fallible. Um, uh-huh. Whereas Jesus is much less so. Yeah. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not trying to say that this yeah. Uti is actually right, a, whole, right. a parabolic figure. But of it's the Bible. interesting to think about. But it's just the interesting parallels there because they are they are very religious. Yeah, texts. Oh, absolutely. Um, and uh, I think there is definitely these two characters that kind of follow a similar path. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess it's not that similar, but in, in terms of the the kind of higher order, but they of things they go on a they go on a journey. It is interesting. Ah, man, have you this, have you read the Da Vinci Code? I have. Great. Of course. Um, I think there's a, bu- there's a bunch of really awful literature um, and plays that like conceptualize Jesus as being in love with, there's a bunch of great ones that conceptualize him mm. as being gay, which I find fascinating. Um, uh-huh. But like part of the Da Vinci Code conceit is that, you know, Jesus is not this celibate paragon of masculinity but is in fact a lover just like every other human in the world um and it is the sort of thing i don't know this is just coming to as 
coming to me right now. So who knows how well thought out this is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, I'm I was raised Catholic, and then being gay makes that less of a, a compatible thing, as I think we've talked yes. before. Um, but I, I, I maybe maybe one of the problems I have with Catholicism is the concept of unconditional love for God, um, as opposed to unconditional love. Full stop. Yeah, for humanity, for the other, that you are like capable of that, which I think the story of Once on This Island portrays more fully in a way that I I, I could get on board with more, mm-hmm. you know, d- feminist discussion aside. But the idea that the concept of love can conquer the concept of death, that mm-hmm. Timun can be unconditionally in love with another being, regardless of how awful that being is and how betrothed that being is. Mm-hmm. Um, like that gives me a wonderfully optimistic, wholesome portrayal of humanity. Yeah. Whereas like, you know, let's, let's talk about Jesus's motivations. Um, either unconditional love for God or unconditional love for humanity. Um, mm-hmm both of which seem terribly selfish. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't think any love is selfish. Like the whole, like love is the opposite of selfish, right? You give yep. yourself to whatever. So unconditional love for God is like, I give all my love to you, imaginary be- bearded man in the sky. Um, mm-hmm. Or like unconditional love for humanity, for a humanity that clearly doesn't love you back because, you know, yep. they put you on that dang cross. Um I don't know. Seems selfish. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You 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 burst a balloon in my mind in an interesting way, and now I'm watching the Sorry. confetti fall. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what I like to do. And then I'll leave and leave you in an existential crisis. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, to be honest, it's not a, a huge point. It's just something that I kind of was like, oh, this is uh, yeah. a weird it's, familiarity. It's interesting to think about. I think, especially in the context that, like, this is a, it is a westernized or western friendly tale of like things that are decidedly non-western in a bunch of ways yeah and so it's a secret way in to some of those themes and some of those ideals totally um you know that that is exciting to me that is interesting Mm -hmm. to me yeah um and i do want to talk about death (laughs) (laughs) so it's funny you laugh so this is something that i as i'm aging and I'm reading right. more and I'm becoming a big old intellectual. Yes. Um, I find very fascinating mm-hmm. um, is kind of how uh, how different cultures mm-hmm. um, and different people uh, kind of have a relationship with death. Yeah. Um, and I mean death as in dying, not the person. Right. Um, not Papa Gay. <laughs> Not or Papa Gay. Or Hades or whoever your death symbolism is. Yeah. Or death from the Terry Pratchett novels. Do you yeah. Terry Pratchett? Talk to me about Terry Pratchett. Do you mm, get him over there? We get him over here. Have I read him? Mm, no. Oh, you should. Yeah. Don't start. Don't do them in order. It okay. never works. Okay. You're amazing. The best books are the death books. Um. Anyway. Now, I'm not some big old death fiend. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't. Probably I, I, for the know, best. My golf days are behind me. Um. <laughs> But there's something very interesting about it. Yeah. Um, now, why am I bringing it up with uh, Once in Silent? Mm-hmm. So 
it all comes down to again this production uh, with the circle yeah. and the square yeah um one of the key features of it is that uh it all the cast are on stage at all times mm-hmm. all taking part in the yeah. action yeah um death is always present yeah death is always present now in haitian culture um the loa the 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 gods the kind of like in between gods mm-hmm. uh that the that our characters are in in this show mm-hmm. um they revere death yeah do you know what i mean they really really do it's not something that it, everyone should be afraid of it's not the the worst thing that can happen mm-hmm. it's something that can be embraced um and uh something that you know you're not necessarily looking forward to but there's mm-hmm. so much hope within it um so i think it's they have this thing um i really apologize if i'm bastardizing this but uh it, i think it's like when you die uh-huh. your soul goes into um the water mm-hmm. uh or anywhere i think it's anywhere that has an echo which i love oh, that's, um that's beautiful yeah, for a year and a day. Okay. Um, and then after that, your soul gets released mm-hmm. um, and it can become part of the world again. Yeah. Um, and so this they have this like year and a day celebration yeah. after you've died for that length of time. Mm-hmm. And it is a joyous thing of like, ah, they're coming back into the world again. Yeah. Um, and I just think that's so beautiful. Um, you know, over in the West... We have this very strange relationship with death. Mm-hmm. It's very, very odd. Yeah, We're constantly terrified. Yeah, um, it it really is the kind of worst thing that can ever happen. Um, and it's uh, it's something that from a very, very young age is kind of drilled into you as oh, is a yeah. it's a a dark it's a old dark. thing. Yeah. Um. And, you know, we obviously have the concept of heaven and hell. Mm-hmm. I'm not even Catholic, and yet that has formed the right. entirety of my life. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I still think about, oh, I shouldn't do that because of hell. This right. thing that I don't even believe in. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Um. And it's just... I don't know. It's it's something, and I like the fact that as I'm I'm getting older, I'm kind of reading more yeah. and understanding that there are other ways to think about it, and yeah. it is something that you can kind of embrace a bit more. Yeah. Um. And one of the biggest pieces of literature that that have shown me that is the His Dark Materials trilogy. Okay. Have you read them? No. Oh, we can't actually be friends anymore. <laughs> the podcast <laughs> is over. You need to read them. So. Okay. Without a shadow of a doubt, mm-hmm. uh, his Dark Materials is the best piece of fiction I've ever read. Really? Ever. Okay. Nothing will ever top it. I read it every day. Yeah. Um, I have been doing so over the past probably seven years. Yeah. Um, before that, I've been I've, the first time I read it, I was twelve years old. Yeah. It's just a part of my life now. Yeah. Um, and to me, it feels biblical. It is yeah. a kind of thing that I go to. Yeah. When I need to. I have questions. Yeah. Um, and I know that's so silly because it's a piece of fiction. It doesn't but matter. we all do that. Exactly. So is we the... all have our things. So is the Bible. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah. So His Dark Materials has many themes, a myriad of themes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of mostly known for its conflict with religion. Okay. Um, and how it discusses religion. Yeah. Uh, like the film, The Golden Compass. Okay. Um, did you see that? I did on a snow day in college. I made Great. hilarious Lucky. jokes 
Um, Lucky you. Um, <laughs> so, uh, the, you know, one of the reasons why they didn't make any more. Was because the, the first one was first... really bad. Um, yeah, well, that. But also because the church were like, ah, 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 mm, yeah. you can't. Right. So they just had to like rinse it of all of the meaning of the whole story. Right. Um, it's not anti-religion. It's not anti-church. It's not anti-Catholic. It's not anti-religion. Mm. It's just a discussion. It gives you yeah. both sides yeah. in equal measures. Perfect. Anyway, uh, the way it talks about death is the thing that's interesting. In yeah. the third book, um, the two main characters travel into the world of the dead, uh-huh. um, which is a kind of abstract uh, cross-section of everyone's concept of what the world of the dead is. Yeah. Um, it's a place where dead people go. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That's that's what it is. Yeah. Uh, and so they go there. Um, one of the kind of key features of the stories as well is... Um, in, in Lyra's world, uh-huh. which is very similar to ours, but with slight differences, uh-huh. um, each person has their demon, um, uh-huh. which is a reflection of yourself, okay. whether it means your it's your personality, whether it's your soul, it's just something uh-huh. um, that is an extension of you uh-huh. uh, and that you carry with you for your entire life. Um, it's just a part of you. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> when they go into the world of the dead they realize that there is another part of them um, that they haven't seen because it's not in their, it's not a part of their world. Uh-huh. Um, and that is your death. Uh-huh. Um, and you carry your death with you uh-huh. your entire life. Um, the people that they meet in the world of the dead uh, talk about it and they basically say that, no, it is is there, but just because it's not a part of your culture, mm-hmm. your death has been hiding yeah. from you. Yeah. Um, and they teach them how to meet their death and how to talk to their death. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, Lyra and, and Will, the other main character, being Western children, right. have this instant fear, yeah. this instant recoil from, oh my gosh, but you're, yeah. you're my death, this is horrible. Yeah. Um, but when they speak to the other families uh, who are well acquainted with their deaths, they're either just there, and it's just something that's like, oh yeah, cool. Um, or there's an older woman there and she's extremely close to the death and her death is extremely close with her. Uh-huh. Um, and they're kind of thick as thieves. Uh-huh. Um, as she embraces it and is just so relaxed yeah. about the fact that she's getting old and that she's dying yeah. because she has her death there with her to keep her company uh-huh. and take her through that. Um, and to me, it's just like one of the most beautiful yeah. thoughts and most beautiful portrayals of death. Uh-huh. Uh, that I've kind of ever encountered. Um, it's just, it's just fantastic. Yeah. Um, and it really just made me think about like, oh yeah. The only reason I think it's scary is because because you've I've been, been told you've been told to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is. I. I find it fascinating humans' discussion of death based mm-hmm. on different cultures and how we contextualize it, and you know. Um, like depending upon your outlook either like justify it or calm ourselves in our mind or get really worked up about it and scared about it um the have you ever we're we're you know two tracks south of the show right now the the brain mm-hmm. train has left i've um, got i've got one i've got a way back okay. it's all right <laughs> but have you ever heard of the fable of the dragon tyrant 
The Dragon Tyrant. No, I have not. If if this part makes it into the podcast, there's a great animated version of it by a YouTuber called CGP Grey. Um, mm -hmm. It's based on a, a philosophical article written by a, like a contemporary philosopher in a medical journal. I think it's the Journal right. of Medical Ethics or something. Um, mm -hmm. But the idea is once upon a time, there was an ancient kingdom where on top of a hill lived the dragon tyrant. Um, and the dragon tyrant, this huge dragon, demanded a sacrifice. Every day, 1% of the population must be delivered to the dragon's teeth else the dragon will wreak destruction upon the land. Um, you know, heroes attempted to slaughter the dragon tyrant to no avail. There's nothing they can do. So finally, the society decided, all right, we will just deliver every day. 1% of the population will be delivered to the dragon tyrant. You never know who it's going to be. And, you know, we're going to deliver them to the dragon tyrant. And eventually economies developed around this. You know, mm -hmm. they built a train line that went to the dragon tyrant's mouth. Um, there were people employed to be like dragon tyrant counselors who would go to your house and like, yes, your loved one, you know, they're, they're on their way to the dragon tyrant and we will accommodate for you. And, you know, we, there's a pension that has been given to you to help you accommodate in this difficult time. Um, yeah. And, you know, the population still didn't dwindle. Like it's only 1%. People thrived and it just became a part of life and became mm -hmm. a part of society. And people taught that like, you know, our purpose is because our life is so short, we must make the most of it and do what we can before we too will be delivered to the dragon tyrant on this train to this station. Um, yeah. And then one day, some budgeting scientist and budgeting scientist, you know, technology has developed and we may have discovered a material that can kill the dragon. We're not quite sure if it's going to work. It's going to take decades of research. It may entirely fail, but we think we may have figured this out. And there's a whole mm -hmm. bunch of societal implications about like, well, but the purpose is to be delivered to the dragon tyrant. And, mm -hmm. you know, this is the natural order of things. How must we? Um, but then all sorts of society. I don't do the story any justice. <laughs> but they develop a missile made of this brand new material. Um, and the king is there at the countdown for the missile that may or may not kill the dragon tyrant. And one of his assistants runs up and goes, wait, my wife, my wife is on the last train to the dragon tyrant. We must fire it now. And the king is like, we can't. We must wait till the prescribed time. And I'm so sorry. If only we had started research a second earlier, a day yeah. earlier, your wife might be saved. And then they launch the missile and it kills the dragon and totally upends society because now we must no longer. And it is an interesting philosophical discussion of like death as an inevitability mm -hmm. or death as an option. Mm -hmm. um, I find all of the discussion fascinating. Absolutely. I, yeah, I've thought about that a few times because it's, it's weird when you're young, mm -hmm. I think when you're really young the immortality thing is is all you want right do you know what i mean you just think well of course who wouldn't want that yeah and then as you get older you're like i can't wait sometime well <laughs> you know I mean? there's there is contemporary research that the person who will live past 200 years might be born today wow based on medical science and medical technology maybe yeah. and like so the, and See, it, it's, it raises all sorts know. of interesting ethical questions oh, totally. and yeah environmental questions but like i don't know to me at the moment that is scarier to me right than the prospect of dying at the age of exactly 75 yeah. or 80 like 
I can't think of anything worse. Yeah, no, but <laughs> you know, the potential of death as not an inevitability, which oh. I th- I think maybe if we're gonna slowly yank it back, do, is do, 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 do. is yeah. core to a lot of death um, mythology that exists in the world is that yeah. your death is not a permanent. You exist either in heaven or as a story or as reincarnation. Like mm-hmm. your existence continues beyond your own, you know, mm-hmm. human self. Um, yeah. Is like a deeply rooted core human desire um, yeah. that we use religion and a billion other things to like justify and, you know, make ourselves feel optimistic about. Mm-hmm. Um, and. Once on this island is one of those, yeah, one of those justifications, one of those like feel good stories about it, hopeful it de- possibilities about it. It definitely is. It's it's kind of always it's always there. I think that's the thing is, you know, she's aware, and all of the the islanders are aware that it's just it's it's gonna happen. Yeah. Um. And yeah, I think it's it's a nice. It's a weirdly comforting thought. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You're yeah. not trying to hide from it. Yeah. You're just accepting it. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, and that was a very comforting. I am a tree holding away the storm. Here in my arms, I'll keep you safe and warm. Even the gods won't dare this line where my life is forever yours and you are I do think, and perhaps as a moment of transition, this is a moment to talk about both my favorite and my least favorite line in all of musical theater. It's two words. Do you know what it is, Jimmy? 
That's I when do. the whole company goes, A Yeah. I think this is the most difficult line to deliver in all of musical theater. Full stop. I know. It's, oh, I think, so, right, we're talking about the revival now. Yeah. I'm saying that because you well, know, they've had they've had a transition. I I think that for me. I think the revival, from what I've heard and what I've seen, does yes. it does it right where no one else has. No, because it's so difficult. It's so it's so difficult. It's come on, Aaron. No, some flowers. I'm not even going to say. I'm not even going to say difficult. It's so stupid. Do you mean the concept of her becoming a tree? I think... Or just the way it's delivered? I think the concept is beautiful. Okay, good. And I think the concept is heavy and fraught with imagery and hope and foreshadowing. Mm. And I think the delivery, or at least the scripting, is so inconsiderate of how heavy and important that moment must be. Yep. Because... You've from from the moment Mama Urele starts singing Oh Timoon, like you are crying, you are bawling. This is the most intense like intensely emotional experience you've had all night. Like I listen to the cast recording and it still brings tears to my eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It for is sure. so moving and it is a beautiful progression of like and, you know, she gave herself up and they went to the walls and they threw out the coins and mm-hmm. the gods were gentle and they led her into the ocean where she gently died. And, oh, it, we've been building to this moment where she sacrificed mm-hmm. herself. And the gods transformed her into a tree! Like, what yeah. the fuck? But, right, okay, in defense of the revival... Oh, uh, no defense needed, but... Well, what I mean is, I think at this point... So do you know what they do at this point in the show? Yes. Right. It makes... It's, it's grand enough it's that it equates to what's well, happening with the line. It's not just that it's grand enough. Uh, do you think a spoiler alert is worthy? Do you think it's... I don't... Yeah. Okay. I mean, spoiler if, alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> if you're going to go see Once on this Island, hit skip forward a whole bunch of it. Um, yeah, but there's a basically a downed telephone pole that's been sitting on stage the entire show, uh-huh. and it lifts up with Timun on top of it. Basically, right? You yeah, that's a good yeah, description. That's exactly it. Um, and it's it's because it's almost like a Chekhov's gun moment, right? It's been there the whole show, the whole time. Yeah, and then it's because oh, it's the tree, and it's oh and it, yeah, cool. and it's and her, I feel like that's and quite she's exciting. in it, and she just died on top of it, and then she comes to and life. she looks great. She yes, looks, her costume at the end is amazing, and then she's um, up in the air as they sing around her. Yeah, yeah, it's fabulous. So I don't mind it in the revival, right? Anywhere else, no, no. I've been to shows um, where that's a laugh line. Exactly, and it's, it's such a shame that it is because it kills the momentum. It's I've told you about my most tragic high school experience on stage ever, it's, mm-hmm. as Jack in the tree and like you know the steward killed my mother. Well, I'm going to kill her. Like I want to deliver it with that emotional intensity that every high schooler yeah. wants, but instead it's a laugh line. Yeah, it's murderous. I hate that shit. Yeah, I know. It's such a shame, yeah. especially for an actor. Yeah, but. But they figured it out in the revival. I think they Finally. did. Finally. Um, yeah, let's, well, while we're on the topic, let's just talk a bit about the set design um, oh. here. Fan- fantastic. 
<sighs> uh, it 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 literally makes me viscerally happy, like deep down on yeah. my inside. Like, it's, it's like it's genius. It's so, so Dane Laffrey mm-hmm. uh, is the set designer for this. Um, I don't know what else he's done. What else has he done, Dee? Do you know? I don't know. Offhand. Let's find out, shall we? He. Oh, okay. So he did make a Spring Awakening as well. That makes sense. That makes perfect sense. Um, oh, he's done loads. Good on you, pal. As a lot um, of set designers have done. Yeah, exactly. Um, so really, really smart. And I think in many levels, this is like kind of, if you are a set designer, it's a good moment to geek out. Oh, yeah. Um, because uh, basically the there is a huge storm that takes place on the island uh, that's where the story begins. Mm-hmm. Um, but they saved Timon, they put her in the tree. Um, so the whole s- s- setting is kind of a wreck. Yeah. Um, and there's real water on stage, mm-hmm. there's real fire, yep. there's sand, yep. there are boxes. At one point, they start cooking. Yeah. Um, it's just so beautifully functional yeah. of this idea of um kind of plowing on through yeah well and the um the entire production design is informed by this like yeah. even everyone's costume is either made of like what looks like secondhand or lost clothes or yeah. in the case of the gods like manufactured really from trash from yeah, like totally. actual trash but intentionally so like all of Rizuli's costume is like medical detritus she's got like a stethoscope belt and it's all sorts of like ivy tubes that make up her crown yeah um it's it is so deliciously intentional in a way Mm. that makes the story so much more authentic um yeah I don't know if you've seen any of the clips of like the tony award performances of the 1990 production yeah it kind of looks like and pardon me, but it looks like a white person was like, aha, Islanders, I shall travel to Party City. Do you know what Party City is? Do they have Yes, those? I do. I, I do. shall travel to Party City and go to the tropical-themed party section and purchase all of the items there. Because yep. clearly that is what the show should look like. Yeah. And it is disgustingly insensitive. Yeah, exactly. There's no authenticity there. No. Um, but I think it's just smart, and it, it, again, it kind of comes as this as this idea of death. Yeah. Um. Right from the start, it's full of destruction. Yeah. Um. It should be something people should be mourning. Right. Because so much has gone wrong. Yeah. Um. But instead, it's all about getting by and making do and telling yeah. a beautiful well, story. Instead, it's it's all of these adults being like, "This child is sad. We must tell her a story to yeah. tell her that it's all going to be okay." Yeah. Once on this island, here is the story. Right, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, um, it's so. It's so I just think it's just really, really smart. Yeah. Um, and especially kind of in this again in this day and age of natural disasters, mm-hmm. you know, um, we've seen a lot of it firsthand. Just something like Katrina. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, devastating. Yeah. But a big part of it is, you know we look to, well, how do we get back? Right, the the um, resilience of humanity. Absolutely. Yeah. And that isn't really in the story. No. Do you know but, what I mean? That, they, but it is done so well that it feels like it should be. 
you know? It just feels like it is. Like there's to me in like this there revival. should be no other way to do this show now. Exactly. Exactly. Like it feels like that's what it is about. It's coming yeah. back together in in how we how we get on through. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, absolutely. It's so beautifully weaved into all the themes. Um yeah. really, really great. The other thing as well is the instrumentation. Mm-hmm. Um so oh, oh orchestrator's name is Anne Marie Malazzo. Sorry if I've said that wrong. Um, but uh, she's the orchestrator and um, is used, uh, you know, all this different kind of rubbish and trash mm-hmm. uh, as instruments. The first the first thing you hear in the cash recording is so cool. Um, are these empty rubber pipes mm-hmm. that get swung around really vigorously and create this kind of haunting chilling wind sound almost yeah um and right from the start you're like this is cool yeah because it gives you i don't know it gives you a strange islander vibe i guess um but also a bit of the surreal and it launches you right in there i think this is a thing i think i will struggle the rest of my life to articulate and Mm -hmm. falls into the hashtag this season sucks um but the production's design for this show is so thoughtful and intentional. Nothing mm-hmm. was done just because. Nothing was done just because it looks cool. Nothing totally. was done just because it, we can. Everything is so deeply rooted in the storytelling. And I miss that in my musical theater. Exactly. Like, yeah, man. Because it, it just... It makes it so much more important and moving because then I then I trust you, right? Even yeah. as Joe audience member, not as me, but like yeah. if I can pick out one thing that I see that you've done done intentionally because it relates to the story, I yeah. trust that you're thoughtfully trying to tell me something. Absolutely. That you've put some time and effort and thought into this. And oh, I'm a broken goddamn record Mm -hmm. but like so many shows nowadays don't do that and it doesn't instill that trust Um, no and then why bother exact thing is i just feel like set designers are gifted people like they do some amazing things and when you get set designs that work yeah and by that i don't mean you know the tracks work really really well but that are like when you've got yeah when they just make sense yeah when it is ingrained and when the set design tells as much of a story right. as your book. Yeah. That's when it's perfect. Like that's yeah. when it's great. And I really do feel yeah. that Once on the Island is nailing that this yeah. season. Oh, absolutely. I think absolutely nailing it. This speaks to I wonder if it is endemic of my philosophy or if my philosophy is derived from this being a tech theater mm. teacher. Um but I I grew I grew prickly and uh uh angsty and difficult to work with when I meet, mm-hmm. and it happens all the time in edu- educational theater, but when I mm-hmm. meet educational directors who talk about reusing set pieces, mm-hmm. and I understand it's a practicality. And I mm-hmm. certainly work in a world where I build modular platforms and flats and things that can be reused and repainted. But yeah. I never want an audience to know that this set uses a bunch of pieces of that set. Yeah, I totally. never want this piece to look like that piece repainted. Oh, I remember that door from this previous show. Oh, you know, oh, remember that dress from Hello Dolly? Now they're using it in My Fair Lady. <laughs> yeah. 
I hate that. It drives me bonkers because if it was appropriate for the one show, it be it should be entirely inappropriate for this show. Yeah. And totally. It happens all the time. Drives me bonkers. It happens on yeah. Broadway right now. Not that they're reusing set props, but you know, there are plenty of They're sets. just doing the same thing. Yeah. You could you They're just could, like, oh that worked really well for that. Exactly. Like, you know what? You could probably perform all of Escape to Margaritaville on the SpongeBob SquarePants set. <laughs> so true. Right? It's so so true. That's awful. Um Yeah. Yeah, it's just a shame. And so I do feel like I I'm just we haven't really talked much about the Tonys other than just to slate it, but Yeah, I think um, we're avoiding it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> The revival, the revival category will be interesting. Because yeah, it's the only thing I'm hopeful and interested about. Yeah, I, I, I totally am, and I think because as well because there's only three of them. Yeah, I'm just very like, ooh, it's a close race. It's yeah. a very close race. Yeah, um, and I really hope that Once in the Island doesn't get forgotten about. Yeah, I don't think it will, but I can't tell. It's so it's so hard to predict nowadays. I mean, I'm gearing up to make video. Really gearing up's the wrong word. I'm like. <laughs> girding your loins exactly that's great i'm girding my loins for the videos i am like you know mentally contractually obligated to put out this season there's just nothing to talk about um but what my fair lady once on this island and carousel carousel yeah Mm, if it's not once on this island i'm gonna have some very serious all cap words on twitter yeah mark my words america and the united and the rest of the world yeah Uh, yeah but Hey, when yeah. does justice ever happen? No. Uh, no, it does sometimes. So let's keep our fingers there's crossed. There's no, but there's no point for justice. It's the only one. Like even in Best Musical, the band's visit has already gotten its due, and I don't think it's going to win Best That's Musical. The thing, but critics are like, yeah, well, no. It's I just I feel like they just feel like they can't legitimately say that it's going to be SpongeBob, right? But it's probably it going to be SpongeBob, and I'm, oh, like I'm, I am like fortifying my brain for all the i told you so comments i'm gonna get on like a series of videos and to be like i still don't like it (laughs) i know that's the thing is i'm trying to force myself to like it yeah um but it's i I think it goes beyond just you know enjoying the cash recording yeah i think it just it's what it stands for and i know that's awful no no that's it's not even forcing yourself to like it i'm trying to force myself to listen to it um yeah, it's, it's I not. That there's, it's there's not the, I really like the David Bowie song. No, no, I'm gonna say it to the hills. It's not good. It's not good. Yeah. It's not good. Even disregarding because of what it is. Yeah, it's just. Not I good. like the David. The David Bowie song is musically interesting. <sighs> that's it. I just think it's just. I, I've never been a SpongeBob fan. I don't really care. I don't really understand the yeah. characters. I um I am a mild SpongeBob fan, and I don't. Yeah. Like it. it really. I yeah. I am. I am so, sad and disappointed about the world. I know. Please, God, once on this island, win best revival, so I have something. Exactly. To look it would just be really good, and I just feel like. The cast love it, so I know all the cast love their shows, but right. the cast, I think the cast really love this. Yeah. Um, talking, and what I must say though uh-huh. is, um, I don't think there are too many snubs this season. But I'm really disappointed that Alex Newell didn't get nominated for no. Best Supporting. Yeah. Do you know he, what I mean? He deserved so, it. I think he really does. I've been following Alex Newell since the Glee project, yeah. because we all know that I'm an out and out Glee. Um, the second. 
he was on my screen watching that show. I was like, this person is electrifying and I've never seen anyone like that before. This yes. is amazing. Um, gave me confidence. I'm like, you're like 20 years younger than me. Um, I know that's not true, but you know, a lot younger. Um, and like, you're you're wanting me to be a better person. Yeah. Then it went on Glee and changed everything yep. for the better. It was incredible. And now he's on Broadway and I'm just like, this is so great. And I just think he's so talented. Yeah. I think he's incredibly talented. I think he's an incredible mover. I think he's an incredible uh, actor. And of course, the pipes don't even need oh my questioning. God. Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It takes a lot. It like it to to portray that character on TV yeah. when there was never a character like that before. Yeah. There was never a high school yeah. trans student who was living out and proud. Yeah. Ever. No. Like just the never con- happened. the confidence alone, but then to to just like even go through with the role. But exactly. then to like embrace it and portray it as fully and thoughtfully and ah the confidence was just unshakable it was incredible um and i really hope that it helped a lot of trans kids out there i'm sure um, yeah because me not even being a trans kid it helped me yeah like it was incredible yeah um and i just think he deserves lots of plaudits yeah because he does it so well and like it's so it's so legitimizing because it's just it's not like that's why the gender portrayal in this is so great because it's not a big deal, which makes it such a nobody big deal. gives it. Nobody cares, right? I'm sure bloody half the audiences don't even realize. No, I'm like, sure there are all <laughs> sorts of me? tourists from Oklahoma who are like, "No, she was she great. was great. Who is she?" And then they Google her on her way home. They're like, "What? But, oh my god!" I yeah. know. Um, no, I just I forever will love Alex Newell. Yeah, um, and I hope this is a great start of a Broadway career. I uh. don't know. I don't know. I but... would I would die in that like millennial I love this kind of way. Um Oh totally. And it just yeah, I just want to see more. Yeah. Gimme, give gimme give more. Um so yeah. Yeah. That was a snub for me. But that's okay. That's all right. You've got a Tony in our hearts, Alex Newell. Absolutely. The only one Ultimate. that matters. Because apparently <laughs> none of the other Tomic. ones matter anymore. <laughs> Jim and Tomic Tony. Yeah. Oh, oh man. Oh, We're gonna no. We're I I don't even know. You know, like, picture the archetype that Frank Sinatra paints himself as um, while he sings My Way drunk at a bar in, like, the heyday of the Rat Pack. Yeah. Just, like, so utterly smashed that there's nothing positive about the world. But you're like, ah, but things are fine. That's going to be me at the end of the Tony Awards. Excellent. Get excited. I wonder how they'll finale it. With because who's it? Sarah Bareilles and Josh Groban. They're just they're just gonna cut to like Stephen Sondheim at home, angry, like, yeah, exactly. throwing popcorn at the TV. Yeah, maybe the, the maybe this will be the first year they don't declare a winner. God, because I, that don't, happened. Don't Did get, you see that? Don't get my hopes up, Jimmy. I don't know. get my hopes well, up. Was it was it Critics' Choice? What was the awards that were like? There's no winner this year. The the pulses no do that sometimes. And no, it wasn't. I said I said the article. I can't remember what it was. I'll try and find it. But there was an article, um, and it was saying that there was this award that didn't offer any awards this year to any Ugh. shows. And I'm like, well, that don't, says it all. Don't tease me like that. It's gonna be SpongeBob, and I'm gonna I'm gonna throw. Things. I mean, it will. It's all good. Uh, anyway. <laughs> The revival's great. It will hopefully also be Once on the Island. Yes. 
Because otherwise, Yay! I have I nothing so. to live for. No. No, that's not true. You tell the uh, story. But yeah, what a show. That was once on this island. That was once, twice, three times on this island. There's that one it lyric. Was. Uh, someone to live for. And I just want them to replace the lyric live with the word three. Someone, two, three, four. <laughs> right? That's true. Yeah. I don't know if it would improve the show, but it would make me feel better. Maybe, yeah, just get in touch with Lynn. Yeah, and she'll insane. she'll no doubt. Hey, she'll Lynn, mm, cute fist under my chin, leaning sideways, <laughs> blinking oh. my eyeballs. Aww. Nickels, nickels, nickels. Yeah, um, <laughs> nickels, so... nickels, nickels. Yeah, what? A... Never mind. Charlie Brown. No, anyway. I don't know what that means. Um, so, so you've got a quiz question. I do. I do indeed. Hey, Tommy. Hey, Jimmy. It's another statement, (laughs) but this seems to be what we're doing. Quiz statement. Uh, Did you know that the film version of this musical proved that Gene Kelly was afraid of cows? I did know that, but only recently. Exactly. (laughs) What could that possibly be? Oh, man. If it's anything like our last one, no one will know. Um... (laughs) If I bet you everyone knows this. Maybe, anyway. Man, w- those are always the worst when we're like, oh, we thought this was so... Yeah. Um, yep. If you want to get in contact with us, I'm Musical Mash on Twitter or Musical Theater Mash on the YouTubes. 
And I am Asin Hendricks on Twitter and YouTube as well. And you can get in touch with us both over at our show Twitter at Jim and Tomic. Or you can head to JimandTomic.com, which has the Reddit discussion, the show notes, and all sorts of other fabulous things. Yes, indeed. We also have a Patreon link there. Um, if you feel like donating to us, that would be absolutely wonderful if you would like. And, of course, tell your friends. And, of course, of course, we'll see you next week. Yes, goodbye now. Toot de loom. I don't know. I wanted to wow. say something different and then I panicked. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like this is going to become another like week on week thing is Tommy saying a different thing. And now, now we have toot the loom oh, in the world. Oh no, what corner have I boxed myself into? No one knows. Right, I'm going to bed. All right, good night. Bye, everyone. <laughs> Bye. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.